Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 29th of August here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, economists trim their China growth forecast as concerns mount. More volatility in European natural gas prices as Australian LNG workers move closer to strike action. And Citadel's Fortress of Maths grads. How the hedge fund is sorting applicants for high-paying internships from 69,000 hopefuls. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. The outlook for China's economy is showing few signs of improvement. A Bloomberg survey reveals economists now expect GDP growth of 5.1% this year. That's down on earlier projections, but still a whisker above Beijing's all-important 5% target. Allianz Global Investors senior Asia-Pacific economist Christian Tontono says the slowdown shouldn't lead to panic in the markets. Growth is likely to be probably weaker than what we expect, and there could be volatility and cyclical growth momentum. But the economy... The driver growth model is changing uh, and the government is likely to pro- still provide the support that's needed to uphold zero growth. So uh, let's not be panicked about it. Christian Tontono's call for calm comes as investors weigh the country's struggling recovery against Beijing's efforts to boost sentiment without major stimulus. Gas prices have surged in Europe as Chevron received notice of impending industrial action in Australia. Workers at two of the company's LNG plants will go on strike from the 7th of September at a time when global supplies are already squeezed. Benchmark futures rose as much as 10% following the news. Goldman Sachs has struck a deal to sell United Capital, an investment advisory business that was aimed at the mass affluent market. The sale to creative planning for an undisclosed sum offloads the business after just four years and signals Goldman's intention to refocus on the ultra-rich. United Capital had about 22,000 clients with a little over $1 million invested when Goldman bought the firm in 2019. That's significantly less than Goldman's typical clients. Ukrainian forces say that they've pierced the first line of Russian defences in the southeast of the country and are now fighting to widen their foothold. According to the defence minister, soldiers are advancing in the southern Zaporizhia region, some 100 kilometres north of the Sea of Azov. The breakthrough comes as French President Emmanuel Macron called for closer European ties to counter the threat from Russia and elsewhere. We know that there will be a before and an after in the war in Ukraine. It seems to me essential to integrate the consequences of this war into our diplomatic action in order to prepare for lasting peace. The post-war period in Ukraine will have to translate into new treaties to regulate weapons, all types of military activities that affect Europe, and we must have the will to be the designer and signatory of these new treaties tomorrow. The French president there, via a translator, he was speaking at the annual ambassadors' conference in Paris, laying out his priorities for French foreign policy. 
Drivers in London face a potential new charge from today. The ultra-low emission zone expands to cover all of the capital, meaning heavy polluting older vehicles now incur a daily fee of £12.50. Clean Air London Director Simon Burkett says Labour Mayor Sadiq Khan deserves praise for the measure. Uh, and I think the mayor deserves credit for, for sticking with this policy. It is an important public health policy uh, and I think it's really uh, worth remembering that air pollution is one of the greatest environmental health risks uh, and that's what the mayor has made a personal priority. Burkett. Burkett has campaigned on the issue of clean air since the early 2000s when London had some of the worst air pollution of any major global city. The change in this policy and the expansion of the ULEZ zone has been widely blamed for the Labour Party not winning a key by-election in Uxbridge earlier this year. Britain's shop price inflation slowed in August to its lowest level in almost a year, relieving pressure on the Bank of England to keep raising interest rates. The British Retail Consortium reported shop price inflation fell sharply from 7.6% in July to 6.9% in August, thanks mainly to food products. But prices are still rising much more rapidly than the Bank of England's 2% target. Markets expect the bank to push ahead with two more rate hikes, including a quarter point increase in September. Ken Griffin's Citadel is going all out in the battle for the world's brightest mathematical minds. Our reporting found that while tens of thousands apply for the hedge fund's summer internship, only a few are chosen. Bloomberg's Asia investing reporter Lulu Chen says competition is fierce. Out of the 69,000 intern applications this year, fewer than 1% actually made it cut to the program. Almost without exception, these students boast titles and degrees from top schools in their regions, many holding math and computer science degrees. Some actually have math Olympiad gold titles under their belts. Lulu Chen says those who secure a place can expect to be well compensated, earning close to $20,000 a month as interns. Caroline, one of the stories that caught my eye this morning from Bloomberg Opinion, Sarah Carmichael, looking at uh, another aspect of the return to office story, but also how this could create problems for couples. Mm. And this is because of the way that people have sort of reorganised their lives around the idea that perhaps, you know, one, and this is, I think, particularly a reference to to parents as well, one parent in the office, one parent at home, uh, and how more complicated things get, whereas companies want more people to go back to the office. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, It's sort of the two-career couple, I think, is mm. the issue. Um, I think that the most interesting issue is that there was a big advance, of course, with work from home, with the idea that you could balance, uh, you know, perhaps commitments around the home with your working life, and that that is now sort of much more under threat. But I think the really interesting bit is that Sarah actually looks at the data and a lot of the research that has been done, and. Um, that men are more likely to be punished explicitly uh, for looking for work-life balance, at least in the data that she sort of surveyed, especially one report out of Australia, that if they ask for it, they are more likely to face more difficult consequences. So you're basically saying that the progress made during the pandemic may be rolled back. Yeah, and also looking at the evolution of how much people are working from home in general, according to the data, women have been slower to return to the office than men, with 41% saying they work from home at least some 
some of the time last year um, and over the same uh, period in 2022 the number of men or the rate of men working from home dropped by seven percentage points Mm -hmm. so perhaps a faster return to office there as well. Of course this is an evolving situation something that we talk about very regularly on the programme as companies try to figure out the best policies for them and for their employees. Elizabeth I just spent uh, a few days in the United States and speaking to some friends there thought it was very interesting that in the US you know return to office is actually uh, even less popular than I think Mm. you know again straw poll study of just people I happen to know but it seems even uh, less popular in the US you know much wider spaces larger spaces and people wanting to stay you know out of the office in in a lot of cases and being more efficient out of office. Yeah definitely will be something we'll be coming back to more on the programme. Let's turn now though to the US Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo's trip to Beijing. She's been emphasising trade and transparency can serve as a foundation for better ties between the two countries. Bloomberg senior reporter in Beijing James Mager joins us now to tell us more. James great to have you with us. Uh, Gina Raimondo trying to separate trade and national security is that a change in tone from the US? Um, I don't think it's a huge change in tone. I mean, I think she's really emphasizing that because that's her, you know, she has both a carrot and a stick role um, or she, a dual mandate, if you want to put it in less uh, sort of violent terms. She has to promote U.S. trade, and that's part of her job as Commerce Secretary. And as she says, she also has to protect national security by not allowing American companies to export the things that America thinks will damage uh, its own national security. And so I think she's really emphasizing that that kind of discussion. But you did see, I mean, you did see Janet Yellen saying when she was here uh, a couple of weeks ago that the vast majority of U.S. trade with China is completely benign, and there's absolutely no controversy about that at all. And, and you know, Gina Raimondo is now emphasizing that point and just saying, you know, on, on the vast majority of commercial and, and in, in investment and trade ties between the, the, the world's two biggest economies, um, there is no one raising any pro- any kind of problem. Well, there's very few people raising any kind of problem at all. There are some people mm. in the US who, who obviously would like to decouple completely from China's economy, but you know, that's it, it's effectively impossible. And, uh, and, and she's here making the point that you know, on, on the vast majority of ties, uh, you know, the US business community here says the same. Uh, most things are very, very uncontroversial. I mean, obviously, yeah. um, the, the, there is a difficulty in that they're uncontroversial, and so there is no problem between China and the U.S. on many of these things. Uh, the, the China doesn't have a problem really with buying U.S. soybeans. There's not a national security risk there. It's in the areas that are the problems that these, is, you know, is, is some of the causes of, of of the tensions between the two countries. And, and she's been very clear that she's not here to negotiate on anything to relate to national security. And she's not here to compromise. She says she's not going to compromise on anything related to national security. And China's very much similar. Like, you know, they say these are the areas that we think are critical for our national security. And we're not willing to, do the, to negotiate or compromise on those either. So on the big issues, there's actually, I mean, at least from how the people talk about it, how she's talking about it, how the Chinese talked about it in the past, there's very little discussion going on. And I guess a lot of the discussion is about sort of the gray area between most of the stuff that's fine and the little bit of stuff that's totally not fine. Um, but, you know, she, yeah, it does seem to be a very difficult position for her. Yeah, and that that is, um, you know, a source of kind of a, a lot of tension and difficulty. But in the big picture, how would you assess then the US-China relationship currently? Because Raimondo is only the latest of a number of very high profile uh, Biden administration figures to visit China. Right. Including the CIA director who came on a secret mission a few months ago. Uh, there's been five cabinet level officials from the US that have come uh, recently. Uh, and I think part of that is just... Um, China is reopening gradually to the rest of the world after the COVID lockdowns. Like no one came for years. Uh, you couldn't basically you couldn't come for three years, and so people are now. There's a lot of pent up kind of demand to go to China from 
from people around the world, not just cabinet officials. And so part of that, the, the, this sort of group of people people you're seeing is, is partly that it's also partly that you know the biden administration and, and i think the, the 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 government of china are trying to do something to better ties there is an attempt to to improve relations where they can and i think there's a couple of reasons for that one president xi jinping is meant to be going to apec in the u.s later this year and if the two nations are sniping at each other if the two nations are, you know, if there's discussions of war like there were last year when Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan, it's going to be much harder for Xi Jinping to go to America and to have a meeting with President Biden if he does go there. And the second thing is, I think everyone realizes that next year is going to be even worse than this year for, you know, possibly in bilateral ties. You have a Taiwanese election, presidential election, and you also have a U.S. presidential election, both happening next year. And both of those could either set off some kind of, you know, thing like the Nancy Pelosi visit did to Taiwan did, or it could just be incredibly heated rhetoric coming out of Taiwan or out of the mainland or out of the U.S. about ties with Taiwan and, and the U.S. And, 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 and China. So I think everyone realizes that now is the best time to try and reach a sort of a stability in the relationship, and hopefully that will last through the, 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 the two elections next year. Okay. Our senior reporter in Beijing, James Mager, thank you very much. Up next, UK flight cancellations could last for days and France's nouveau riche. The Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Now, the paper review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. And Bloomberg's James Wilcock joins us in the studio for a deeper look at some of the business stories in the news today. Good morning, James. Let's start off then with UK flight cancellations. They are splashed over a number of the front pages today. I mean, yes, they are, Caroline. And to me, this story is a big reminder that when the AI bots take over, we better be worried because what has happened is the computing system broke down in the National uh, Aviation Transport Authority yesterday on one of the busiest summer holiday days going. And as a result, the uh, flight attendants there had to put in... All the data manually and that meant that more than 500 flights were cancelled some people are still stranded and as we saw when a similar thing happened in the US last Christmas because planes are now in the wrong places schedules and knock-on disruption could take days to um, alleviate I'm sure somebody will argue the AI will fix all of this and there's no way such things would happen if we were all replaced by robots. Steve, anyway, are you in the studio or is the robot? Exactly, yeah. The robot Stephen is talking. Uh, let's go to the FT next for a story about building rules. So I'm going to try and convince you that this is possibly the most important story today because it's all about building around rivers. Now, the UK for a very long time has had a massive house building shortage. We are far behind target and construction companies in the UK are going out of business at the highest rate in a decade. So at the moment, we see Michael Gove, who's today set to announce Therese Coffey, the Environment Secretary, that what they're going to do is they're going to get rid of a 2017 EU law around water pollution. And if you build a large house or a large property, you have to look at the amount of phosphates that are going into the river. There's a risk that these things can cause large algae blooms. Uh, and it's interesting this happens in the UK, where we are seeing massive headlines about raw sewage and failures in the water system. It's also something where we are seeing this argument about house efficiency versus the quantity of building. But what's fascinating here is it is a Brexit rule 
rule that is being sort of revoked and the government are saying this is going to be a big Brexit success. But um, I go and look at something from Centres for Cities where they say, for example, that this UK house building shortage has been happening since the 1950s. So what is fascinating here is we are seeing a UK specific problem, but we are seeing an EU specific law being revoked to sort of deal with it. So one of the issues the Conservative government have to face here is that there seems to be a Britain unique issue, but so far they're pointing to an EU specific problem to deal with it. Mm. Uh, And we saw with Liz Truss, the final vote that helped bring her down was all about onshore wind farms and building laws. So it is an issue that even Keir Starmer's um, potential future Labour government will have to deal with. And this stuff matters beyond just house properties and asset value. It affects productivity, quality of life, you know, skilled worker retention. House building tackles all parts of the economy. And it yeah. is something this government has to deal with. No, absolutely. Labour flexibility, so much more. Um, just lastly, the Times are writing about millionaires and how many of us have French envy. Yes. I mean, if you base it on dollar denomination, uh, Britain lost uh, nearly 450 thousand millionaires last year, Japan 460,000, Germany 250,000 and America even 1.8 million. One of the few countries that grew its millionaires in dollar denomination was France. Uh, It's seen as a burgeoning luxury sector. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.